At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name, my name is... Is... <laughs> Does my hair look okay? My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So hold it to where you, yeah. Like close. that? Yeah. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. We're, we're rednecking this podcast, this Roundup podcast. A little different of a Roundup podcast. Yeah. Out of Trinchera, out of Southern Colorado, snowing outside. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. absolutely gorgeous. Ryan, this is an audio medium, so mm -hmm. you have to speak. <laughs> Got it. Um, so understood. Understood. <laughs> no good with that? Yep. Good. Okay. There is no video component. <laughs> There's no video component. Ryan's nodding. Yes, yep. it's beautiful. Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's yep. cool. uh, have you been in? Uh, you've been in snow before, right? Yes, uh, but I probably still call it the strange white stuff that's fallen from the sky Definitely. as a true Texan. Yep. Ryan Martin, welcome to the podcast. This is your first podcast ever. Yes. Welcome to the Roundup podcast. This comes out on Monday. Okay. So okay. it's going to be out there. The world's going to know about you and. This oh boy! Is your number one cherry popping podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It's no, been you're great. welcome, Dee Dee Lancy. Seasoned. Seasoned veteran. Yes. Have you been on a podcast before this? I've had a couple of podcasts recorded, and none of them uh, hit the airwaves. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. For one reason or another, or you just sh shite? No. I well, one reason or another. Not okay. that I was. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get into the <laughs> details of what went wrong with each oh, of them. I like that. But I yeah. like that. Well, um, yeah, as I said, it's going to be a different roundup because we are sitting here in Trinchero. You both won the, what was it, the May? April? I think it was July. Yeah. July? Yeah. July. Sometime yeah, in the summer. July. Right? That was right. July. Mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. Thank you for the focus, Didi. Just on the mic. Yeah. I think. July Supporters Program Drive that mm -hmm. we created. 
which was to sort of elicit more donations, more support for what we do. And um, we had two categories. One was new supporters that came on board, and Dee Dee Lancy was one of those new supporters that came on board. Yeah. And Ryan Martin was one of those that had been with us for probably a couple months before that. A yeah. couple months. Started getting into the program earlier this year. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, I wonder if I can actually hear myself if I do one of these. Try it. Let's do this. The podcast producer can just... Edit. 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 I don't think it's going to... Let's see. Clip. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, I can hear myself. This oh, is perfect. good stuff right That will help because oh. oh, there yeah. were things I couldn't tell you. <laughs> like what? Like when you turn your head and don't take the microphone, it sounds different than holding the microphone. Exactly. So I just need to... Talk so like this. Yeah, but you're t- you're trying to be kind and talk, talk to, to Ryan. Ryan. Right. Yeah. So now I'm completely avoiding Ryan. Yeah. Well, you could <laughs> just locking like, eyes with you. You could just like make it like, like a, a frame. Shoulder turn yeah. to Ryan. Yeah. Hey Ryan, how you doing? Yeah, and that's the perfect, uh, perfect. distance. Yeah, I so, like yeah. this. Okay. Interesting. We're all set now. All set. Okay, up. editor, we're about to jump right back into it. No, I'll leave all that stuff in there. That's oh. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. <laughs> It's authentic. Okay. It's what we it's are. Adapt- you're adapting. You're mm. being nimble. So you both won the supporters program. Mm. And in that win, we had a Montana knife. Mm. Did you use your Montana knife? On your haven't. Book? Yep. You didn't use it? Will, but I haven't. Okay. Didi, you fully blooded oh, yours. Seasoned. It is. It is. Um, yeah. It's been used. It's been loved. It's a fabulous knife. And you didn't join the. They have this club called the Blood Brothers. Oh, at really? Montana Knife Company. And I don't know if it's that you've blooded the knife on an animal. Oh. Or you yourself blooded it because you of cut. how sharp it is. Yeah. And you oh. cut yourself. Well, I did both. <laughs> I actually did. you cut did. yourself? I did. Oh. You guys want to see the wound? Yes. Sure. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Savage, right? Gore. It's about half a millimeter. <laughs> It was the first. On your index finger. It was the first. You look literally, like my nine-year-old saying, "I have a boo-boo, Dad." Yeah. The first cut, like literally, on the animal and on me, all at the same time. Oh, oh okay. yeah. So maybe that's a new thing. Mm. It's a tiny prick, but the tip is very sharp. Yes, it is. And pointy. Beware. Yep. And useful. Very, very useful when you need that sharp well, point. Well, you completely gutted. Mm-hmm. A cow elk on the side of the mountain with your Montana knife. I did, I, I did with, with your help and guidance and Aaron, our lovely guides, guidance and patience, um, talking me and walking me through it. But I did all the, all the cutting. And at that time, you thought I had already butchered ten elk. Oh, I I thought this, Robbie's like just all he can possibly do is just like stand there and keep keep holding the elk because this is driving me nuts how slow I'm going. Yeah. But, but you did a good job. You found out today that yeah. I had never killed an elk. You had never killed an oh, elk. Oh, okay. Until, I didn't know that either. Until this morning. Until it's this 7.46 morning. this morning. 7.46 this morning. Before wow. the, the, uh, the skies opened and it started snowing like crazy. That's right. It was the, the clouds were so gorgeous for sunrise this morning. Mm-hmm. Like hot pink, crazy color blue. Some yellow and orange in there. And then your first elk kill. Congratulations. It was amazing. It was amazing. amazing. Ryan, this is your first elk too? Yes. Yeah. First for me as well. 
you Great take experience. all the meat home? Absolutely, yeah, and even some of the non-meat items as well. What do you take home? Dog snacks, bones, um, the feet, uh, the trachea, mm-hmm. good chew trachea toys for the dog. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Good supply. You take any of the offal? Uh, I will be taking the heart. Um, the liver was too bruised up for me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, putting everything to use. Yeah, mm-hmm. my liver was completely gone. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Yours was perfectly <coughs> intact. Mine was gigantic and perfectly intact. So I've got three very large pieces of liver to take home. Yeah. Yeah. So we all, uh, we've all we been here two or three days. Uh, we're all headed out sometimes in the next 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Some sooner than others. Yes. Um, Didi, this is your first ever kill. First ever kill. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are going to be listening to this roundup. You know... It's not like you haven't tried before, right? This isn't your first hunt. It's um, I've I've only been hunting for a little while, so Shane, yeah. you're next. But he's no, he's running. Away. He's running. Um, but yeah, I've I've hunted only for a little while, but first kill for me, and um, definitely first, yeah, first for me. But you've tried before. You went elk hunting last year. Yeah, so my husband and I went archery elk hunting on public land in Utah. Yeah. Super humbling experience. If anybody ever just wants to really feel like a complete beginner at something and uh, grab a grab a bow and mm-hmm. go start walking around mm-hmm. with a tag in Utah, we learned we learned a ton and we're um, super excited to continue on with the educational process of becoming proper hunters and harvesting. Yeah, our food ourselves. More of our food ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Ryan, you hunt whitetails and stuff in Texas? Yep, mainly whitetail. Um, wild pig and past, of course. Uh, we have great fishing in Texas. A uh, little bit of dove here and there. Um, but yeah, mainly whitetail in and Texas. And you out of Houston? Yep. Nice. Yep. So I have a... Do you have a big enough freezer for all this meat that's coming home? That's the big question. <laughs> I have the same question. <laughs> I don't have that question. You I have already, plenty. I already ordered a new <laughs> freezer last Smart. night, and it will be delivered tomorrow afternoon. Wow. Yeah. No wonder you're the chief operating officer of Fieldcraft. It's like, thinking ahead, yeah. make that operation happen. Logistics, making stuff happen. Yeah. Well, since I just introduced yourself, why don't you go ahead and we you know, 10 minutes into this podcast, and you haven't introduced anyone yet. Oh, okay. So. Well, I'm Dee Dee Lancey. Thank you for having me here. You're I welcome. am... Um, a mother and a wife, and also um, the COO of Fieldcraft Survival up in Heber. Uh oh. So one of the hunters uh, at the lodge just came in with a big, beautiful shed, and um, he just surprised he just surprised his wife. Um, he's he's bull he's hunting for bull elk. Um, yeah. So chief operating officer for Fieldcraft Survival out of Heber City, Utah, and. Um, we met, we met through um, the beautiful land of Instagram yep. and Montana Knife Company. Yep. So we've got lots of common threads now that we're Absolutely. getting to know each other. But yeah, yeah. yeah, happy to be here. Happy to know you. Ryan Martin, introduce yourself. So Ryan Martin, um, native of Houston, Texas. Always lived in the great state of Texas. Um, yeah, uh, definitely not in the outdoor industry space uh recreational hobbyist i guess uh, okay. but small uh, landowner in texas 
which you basically need or have connections to to be able to hunt in that state. And as a now elk hunter, I would say, you uh, have to leave Texas if you want to hunt, uh, hunt elk. Sure. Um, There's some great elk, though, in Texas, but it's there are. all private. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So let me ask this. And typically on a roundup, we have a bunch of news articles that we discuss of what's happening in the hunting world or whatnot. But maybe what we can do is we can set up sort of misperceptions. You both are new hunters. You both are new hunters for elk. Do you think there's a stigma about you now returning home and telling your friends, and I'll start with you, Ryan, and then Dee, you can answer, that you killed your cow elk on a piece of private land in Colorado? I think there will be. Because, yeah, a majority of the friends and family that I know that are also hunters, uh, they go for whitetail on their own personal property or they have a lease, which mm-hmm. is huge in Texas. Getting to a point where you're going out of state for uh, elk and with decent odds of being successful, which we all were, it definitely puts you in a different category, I, I think, um, once you start talking to people. Um, Do you may- think your friends, if you uh, if you told your friends what you did mm-hmm. and where you did it, would they think less of you because you did it here on private versus you did it on public in Colorado? I don't think so. I think uh, the notion of public versus private in Texas is not maybe as well known. Okay. Um, there just aren't that many uh it's not as accessible sure at least for me uh you know i'm coming with a kind of bend towards coastal slash east texas yep. just just to get here is you know over a day's drive mm-hmm. so you're already you know um a good ways away um but yeah i don't think there would be any sort of negative connotations with that no yeah it's it's interesting you're you're right in a in a in a state like texas you're probably right in terms of the privateness of private versus public. So I think I get my mic situated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think coming from a, a state like Texas that you've got 98% private ground, mm-hmm. I think you're right. I don't think anyone's going to blink an eye at you and what you did. Yeah. But Didi... So I, I feel what like do I, you think? I feel like I come from an interesting sort of juxtaposition where um, a lot of my friends, like my my treasure people, I call them, like my really close friends, yeah. are actually so new or don't know anything about hunting that they they wouldn't judge they me. Been brought into the whole turmoil of public versus no, private. They would. They literally are going to be just so proud of me Mm. and excited for what I'm doing they've followed like along with my journey of like what we've done in in our front yard we've changed the whole front yard into raised planter beds they've followed along with the bees they are excited about the chickens they get eggs Um, so this is just the next layer and what the resounding feedback that I've gotten from especially a lot of my girlfriends uh, is like they want to be next like they're like okay I don't know where to start but like help me like share knowledge like you know how do I get started and um Brian my husband and I have 
taken a few friends like shooting just to get people because I think that's a big barrier of entry is sure, sure. just getting proficient at um, weapon knowledge and just um, confident even just going to a range. So that's more of where I come from is is just like just really people being excited and eager to to be a beginner as well with me and and kind of inspired or excited to like follow along. Um, maybe some of the more seasoned hunters um, that are in my realm, they might have a little twinge of like, oh, well, yeah, of course you, you like got one or something because you went there. But ultimately I think when, when like that kind of subsides a little bit or moves to the side, they're also going to be just like really amped for me yeah, and um, excited to have a new hunter in the fold. Like, Mm -hmm. like, they just you know really resonate i think i think true hunters at least that i've that i've met that do it as an let's say intense hobby and above they just really want more people as part of the posse sure. like they they really want they really want to bring people in and i think mm-hmm. i think that barrier to entry can be really overwhelming for a lot of people so if you have the courage to just go for it then what i've found is a lot of our already seasoned hunter friends like we had one, we have one amazing friend that actually just took us out behind his neighborhood, which is like kind of a, a nice open space in Park City. And he was walking us around draws and up like creek beds and stuff, showing us how to move and like testing the wind and stuff to where this was, this was last year, but showing us, showing us like decisions to make based on the wind and mm-hmm. based on the landscape, mm-hmm. which was super helpful mm-hmm. and just really lovely. And we ended up going hunting with him one time last year on public land and it was a really great experience for him because he's been private land hunting for the last decade and he was like oh my gosh you guys this is so difficult like you have no idea how difficult this is um of what we were doing so it was it was actually really great to share that experience with him where he'd been going private land hunting guided for so long and him being more like in the guide sort of position and place leading us through even just doing stuff on public land. So, um, yeah, that's my, my friend. So overwhelming supportive. Yeah. I think, you know, there's just a set of conflicting arguments constantly when it's public versus private. It's like, there's a connotation that private is easier. Mm. That comes with a high fence also, right? There's there's this connotation that it's easier, but there's always an element of luck. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. I don't know. Anything. We'll we'll talk through your elk hunt, but Didi's elk hunt. We saw elk. We tried to put a stalk on them. They disappeared. Mm-hmm. We went down the road a little bit more. Fortuitously, we spotted one single by herself elk. Yeah, which is like unheard of. Unheard of. Should have busted out of there just like everyone else. Totally. We backed up. We made a big stalk in and around, a big finger over the finger, and she was still there. Yeah, over two creek beds. Yep. I mean, yeah, and she was still there. And she, we, the whole time stalking, we had no idea if she was going to be there or not. Uh, uh, now, granted, the only difference is that we weren't, we weren't fighting anyone else. Correct. Okay, so that is definitely an issue on a public, public ground, but. Nothing that happened on the private ground, even my hunt this morning, nothing about it is, is, you know, it's not easy. You know, the same thing could have happened us driving through a BLM 
piece of forest road, see a herd of elk, pull the car off, back it up, put a stalk in, mm-hmm. and, yep. and take the cow elk that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, I do, having barely hunted both from my experience, private a private land hunt takes a few of the variables out of the equation. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is where people have the perception that it's easier. It is still hunting. Mm-hmm. Like it is still, yep. there's still luck and there's still, you still need to pay attention to, you know, your position and wind and, and all the things that you actually need, your, your equipment and all the things that you need to on public land. Um, at least where we hunt in Utah, currently there's so many other hunters that that's the main that is right. the main variable right. there are animals there but they are being pressured so much yep. by all the other hunters that it really makes it nearly impossible in a lot of ways to even learn how to hunt because you're not even getting a chance to watch animal behavior you're not even getting a chance to be um, you know, to see animals and to, to start the practice of what you actually do mm-hmm. um, when you're hunting, stalking or otherwise, spotting or anything like that. So um, having the chance to come on private land and hunt really actually helps a new hunter get practice of doing the actual thing. Yeah. Ryan, what about yep. your hunt? Talk us through your hunt in so, terms of what it... Yep. Uh, well, great guide, uh, Mike here at the ranch, decades worth of experience, um, that I think played huge, uh, into the stock up, into the approach. We saw a few, uh, smaller groups, bands. We saw one lone bull. Mike said probably low 300s, uh, tearing across the field. So that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, got within probably 20, 30 yards from a decent forky staring at us. That was pretty mm-hmm. cool. Uh, so great encounters right off the bat. So we're really excited. He's got a sweet spot. We're approaching in a vehicle, um, turns off all lights, creeps up. We see some right at a, um, uh, a tree break. Um, see a couple figure, okay, we're going to go. We've got the wind at our advantage. We're going to approach. We kind of go down a little bit so they shouldn't be able to um, see us, smell us, or hear us. We get to the top, pull out the sticks, uh, get set up, and... They had basically cut the distance to us, to the road. So by that time, it's busted. Uh, pretty large group. It was definitely over 100, mm-hmm. but mostly juveniles. Um, the, the males we saw were small ones, uh, spikes, things like that. Yeah. So yeah, I lined up to take a shot. By then, the wind had picked up. Uh, they were going into a low. So saw one closest to me, and yeah, made the shot. Um yeah, lung shot her. She went down. So did the whole group of them. And, um, yeah, made the approach and finished her off. And awesome. that was it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So cool. Yeah. But I think, you know, the point that, you're, the point that you've made, Dee Dee, and I, and I actually just, we just created a video that reminded me of it, is if you're a new hunter, like you are, how long have you been hunting, Ryan? <sighs> Ten years. Okay, so you you were late to come to uh, to hunting as well. Fairly late, yeah. You didn't parents didn't grow up hunting. No, I think that skipped a generation with my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandparents' generation, huge outdoorsmen. They come from the north, um, Michigan and Iowa, so monster whitetail country. 
that definitely carried through. Uh, my parents were first generation Texans moving from the north. So yeah, that kind of skipped taking care of the family hmm. work, that whole thing. Uh, you know, now sort of post college years, I definitely got into it heavy along with my grandpa who he's, um, he's still with us, but his, I think his outdoor days are past. So yeah, me taking that up, having the passion for it that he did as a, um, a true outdoorsman, I would say hunter and fisher, mm-hmm. um, in the North and now where he lives in Florida, um, something I'd hope to pass off to my kids as well, for sure. sure. Absolutely. Sure. You know, it's interesting, the, that, that video that we created, it's almost like in, I think maybe that the hunting community, the way that it is, the way how insular it is, the way that there's, there's so much competition that's driven within the community um, and expectations of people. We talked a little bit about expectations in the vehicle today. Mm-hmm. That almost new hunters are not given any grace New hunters are not given any, like, you're not supposed to know that stuff yet. Mm. You know, you're not supposed to do this. You're not, you know, you've got, you've got to learn. You've got to, it takes time and effort and whatnot. And I think the situation we were in here at this ranch and also the situation you were in at the Hunter Recruitment Project in Georgia, mm-hmm. in that, and then let's compare that to your season-long elk hunt in Utah. Yeah. How many elk did you see? We saw six big bull, and they, we smelled one and were close enough, uh, but it was before even opening day. It was the, the afternoon before opening day when we were headed up to set up camp. And then the morning of opening day, we were sitting, and it was dark, and we could feel them all around us, and we could smell them and hear them. But by the time it became light enough to shoot anything, they had already moved to private land mm-hmm. that is adjacent to this public land that we were hunting. And because of the time frame that Utah has their um, archery season, the bulls weren't, or the, it, the yeah, the bulls were not in the rut. So right. there was no way that we could even draw them Move back them on pu- public land. Yeah. Um, so we watched those six guys and we could watch them from afar. We could watch their behavior, but, um, we never, we never got any closer than that. So comparatively speaking, um, super, super helpful to get practice and, and closer to animals and see more animal behavior. Yeah. Well, I think that, again, I, luckily I've never been in the position, but I could imagine a new hunter, the barrier of entry being so high, a new hunter getting into it, say, let's just use you as an example, going through an entire season archery elk hunting not seeing anything that you could actually interact with mm-hmm. and doing that season after season or even just for one season go screw this man like this isn't worth it yeah because you don't know like in yes you're doing it for some sort of lesson some sort of perseverance some sort of something but it helps to see wildlife it helps to interact with wildlife it helps to have opportunity to take the wildlife. Well, if I would have, if, if we would have had the chance to take something last year, let's say, and, and we would have been successful. The next part that comes after being successful with taking an animal down is super intense. And you don't actually have a chance to practice that until you actually are with an Mm. animal that you, Mm. that you've harvested. And so it was in, 
incredibly important for me yesterday to do the entire process because my hope is that next time, I mean, well, my I'd hunt with you again any day, but the, the reality is that you're probably not going to be there with me mm-hmm. and, and my husband and I are going to be doing this ourselves. And so then what do you do? You're mm-hmm. out, you probably out of cell range. If you haven't done your study work, it's totally different having a massive 300 plus pound animal at your feet and you've got to start processing it so that you can take care of the meat responsibly and start to get your, you know, your butt out of that That's country. the biggest animal you've ever killed? Absolutely, by far, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. What did, what did you, when you, you guys gutted it there and there mm-hmm. yep. in the field? Field dressed, yep. Got the organs out, put it back in the um, body cavity, and yeah, winched it up. Mm-hmm. Did, back. What, did you have any, like, did you have any idea of how big it was? Did that surprise you when you walked up on her? <laughs> the shot was probably 200 yards. Um, that for me and my, I would say most recent few years of hunting is by far one of the longest shots that I've taken at my small property. A long shot for me is 50 yards. Yeah. Walking up on that animal yesterday, that was, yeah, that was truly remarkable. Mm -hmm. So I was not aware of the scale of difference between an elk and a white tail, Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah. Um, aside from that process is the same field dressing that's you know something could you imagine and this is the thing that Didi and her her husband went through yesterday could you imagine shooting that animal and you've seen this property Mm -hmm. two miles off the road three miles off the road yeah sure yeah and then the work that would be I can imagine it required (laughs) I wouldn't be looking forward to it but I can imagine it yeah I think when you're put in that situation where, for me, the the gratitude during the experience and even after the experience, because my guide left, walked back up to the truck, we were we were sort of down in a low, um, a good uh, couple few hundred feet. So mm-hmm. he went back up to the truck, made the call for them to um, come help, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and being with the animal um, by myself in the quiet peace of the woods with the cold and all the elements and the mountains in the background and everything. Um, I would figure it out. I would, I I have that mentality where I would, I would make it happen. I think you see a lot of these uh, extreme Alpine hunters where they go after something and they're just so overwhelmed with the opportunity that's in front of them Mm -hmm. and the gratitude of getting a a big horn or something, you know, way, way far up. I think, I think you, you think about it, but, um, yeah, I think ultimately I'd, I I would still you you have to you have to make it happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I just it would be like again I've never killed an elk. I've seen elk. I've seen elk being shot. Um, but the amount of work mm-hmm. it's a three hundred pound animal, man. Mm-hmm. It's like shit, a brick. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it. it and, and my husband and I. Last year, I mean, we did our research, we had a plan and we, you know, if, if, if we would have taken something down, we would have, we would have made it work. It's just having the practice Mm. and having now done it in a, in a, seen it twice, seen it. Yeah. Seen it twice, been a participant. Then it, it's like, I'm that much more confident. And then also I'm, I'm that much more confident in making this like, like 
responsible and healthy decisions in the future hunting of if if we actually find ourselves four miles in and nothing's working and we don't um you know as far as communication because last year we had a couple of friends on call and they knew where we were so that if anything if we did get anything then they could come help us but let's say let's say that that's not going to be the case well then you have to really start to take into consideration temperature and proximity to your, your vehicle and things like that to where you're really setting yourself up for uh, success both mm-hmm. getting the animal out responsibly but also like for me especially like being re- a responsible hunter and getting myself out and not putting myself and then therefore like my husband and everything else in danger and becoming a liability i'm constantly thinking about There's how so to much shit could go wrong yeah i'm just constantly thinking about how to be an asset and mm-hmm. that's that's a lot of what has gotten me charged up and um motivated to become a hunter at this um at this age at this current age that i am and and so it goes that for the same in the back country it's like i really have to be mindful of myself so that i don't put anybody else in danger yeah yeah well i appreciate both of you coming here um uh, one obviously and then number two is appreciate you supporting us absolutely supporting blood origins and um it's always always humbling you know, especially now that we're a charity and charities ask people for money. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's not the easiest thing in the world to ask people for money. Um, and I think we just, you know, I guess we're doing a good job and, you know, we, we, we will keep pushing the stone every single day for, you know, your kids and your kids one day. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and my kids. That's so. right. Well, it's a worthy endeavor. You're doing a great job. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. Final words? Yeah, just more gratitude. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks to everybody here at the facility. Big shout out to the guide again. Great experience. Uh, yeah, it's been fantastic. Well, we're happy to have it and thank them so much for for putting this up. For sure. They're lovely. All The whole staff here is absolutely lovely. The, the ranch is gorgeous, breathtaking. Scenery. Full of conservation projects. Yes, amazing, chock full, and that's really a testament to um, We're the ownership. About native Rio Grande cutthroat trout and their yeah. reintroduction on this ranch. Yeah, they're amazing. really up to some some super cool things that uh, are direct, uh, directly relate to hunting and mm-hmm. conservation. So exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Thank Safe you. Safe travels home. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.